Hello, Tom. Hello, Brandon. How's it going? It's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. Sounds like you've had a bit of a rough night, so we'll do what we need to. And uh, yeah, if you just fall asleep at any stage, I'll continue on podcasting without you. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't too bad. And uh, the puck is still going to drop and I'm going to see it for Calgary tonight. So I'll be up real late. Very good. Oh, if, if you're waiting already for something in the future, then uh, let's fill the time accordingly. <laughs> no, no rush at all. I'm good. I'm Very home. good. Yep. Do you have a large unboxing knife close by? Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let me grab it. Not at all. All right. All right. All right. All right. Oh, oh I'm ready. The sound effects are perfect. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking of sending you clothes pins and mulligatani soup, but then I just decided, uh, probably not. Oh, I would I would have cons- consumed the, uh, the mulligatani for sure. Very good. Oh, man. So was it actually on your porch? You just missed it? Was that what happened? Or... Uh, no, I wasn't home at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, so no one had said anything to me that that it had arrived, oh, and okay. uh, and then I said, "Oh, I'll I'll check," and sure enough, they brought it inside. And I said, "Very oh, good, it is here." Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you when you emailed me first thing this morning, I was like, "Oh no, it's clearly been stolen." Because in our area, package these it's just you know a dime a dozen actually. So I just assumed <laughs> uh, some package thief has gotten this thing. So. They would have been uh, not expecting what what is inside here. I'm guessing. Well, I don't know. I'm, what's the deal with package thieves anyway? I mean, what do they expect? I mean, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Continue. And, uh, Continue I know. With the unboxing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that topic. Yeah. Uh, uh, I had a buddy. He stole a package one time. This is like in the late '90s, uh, and we it was like a blizzard. And uh, he goes, "I just stole this package." He comes and picks me up, and I go, "Why did you do that?" And he goes. I don't know. I just saw it and I took it. I go, what's in it? And he goes, it's, it's an, a raft. We, it was the middle of a snowstorm. It's like an inflatable, like, like boat type thing, like a, like a yeah. heavy duty one. And so we got a rope and tied it behind the car and we like pulled each other around in the snowstorm. Oh, <laughs> You're a real scumbag, man. Yeah. Well, at yeah. least it wasn't the person's diabetes medicine or something like that. I, I, mean. I was like, what? So you're just gonna, so, oh man, you're a scumbag. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. So, Tom has been kind enough to send me this box of who knows what, and uh, let's cut into this. I noticed it's from San Jose, and it is hockey playoff right. season, and I am not a Sharks fan. Very good. Is it, <laughs> is it embedded Sharks in some way? Has it got that little sticker on it or something? <laughs> no, but I looked at the box. I said, oh, that's filthy Sharks, unless they're playing Anaheim. And then, of course, I put a Sharks jersey on in a second. Very good. <laughs> But enough of that. Let's get to the contents. These are all sound effects, by the way. I, I don't even have a knife in my hand. <laughs> oh, look at this bubble wrap. Oh, my. So this box is about the size of a... Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> oh, my 
box out of here. I didn't actually wrap the box. I don't know anything about the box. I just know its content. So I probably should say that out loud. No, it's just a, a flat rate shipping box from yep. the U.S. As, Postal Service. As anticipated, that was what I hoped it went out Yeah, and uh, there's plenty of bubble wrap, which I'm always a fan of. Very cool. I got to thank you for that. Ooh, this is cool. What is this, Tom? Okay, I have a, it looks to be like, um, if I had to guess, a black, thick, four-inch thick, nine-inch long CD case. That's what it looks like. Uh, do, you have uh, a flat, do you have a flat surface you can unwrap it on? I, I, yep, I got a table Very right good. here unwrapping. I got to tell you, the logo on it is awesome, dude. <laughs> the logo on the front, the yes. little emblem, it's like a shield. Yes. You know, it's like a medieval shield with the white and red, and it's got like this Roman Darth Vader skull head on it. Felled her. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome, dude. All right, let's unzip it. Oh, yeah. What's this on the side? Ogre. Oh, <laughs> there's a little card that says Ogre. Hold on. Always got to read the paperwork. What's inside? Okay, scribbles. Yeah, oh my god, Tom, I can't believe you sent this. I thought it was going to be rations. Dude, I thought you were going to send me coffee rations. I made a cup of coffee because I was like, if I taste this crappy coffee, I'm going to have to drink some good coffee. No, so, I, I, there were a number of things that could have tasted bad here. I decided to go with something reasonable. Dude. Okay, Tom has sent me. Oh man, these are the ones you sent me the pictures of? Some of them are, yes. Yeah, some of them are. So I are need the- to, you, you continue to describe. Continue to describe. Okay, these are these awesome, I don't even want to call them figurines, because that sounds like something my sister has on her Biora. But uh, it's, <laughs> dude, they are like little Dungeons and Dragons wizards. They're about an inch and a half tall, and they're wielding like axes and uh, giant weapons, and they're so detailed. Dude, this guy's face looks like our friend Art. I mean, he's got like these horrible teeth for gnawing through kangaroo hide in the outback mm. <laughs> yeah they're awesome you know have you what, found the dice as well there's a little packet in oh, I, the top yeah, is, oh yeah there's like a little felt um dice bag yeah that too oh man oh yes dude i made a board game once and i went and bought all these like multi-sided die for for it because i was making up my own game <laughs> oh, these are awesome thomas sent me like an array arrangement of die well i like to call them dice it just sounds better but yes. yeah one looks like it's made of um scope like i could put it in my mouth and it'll dissolve it's that green color of scope it, i want to taste it <laughs> <laughs> it looks so good so in full disclosure i'll describe how this happened i have probably i don't know how many more than 300 of these little figures that i do for D night I've, I've rolled it out over a long period of time it's not all happened at the same time and most of them never get used. So every D&D night, I kind of arrange them and work them out and what have you. And I thought, screw this. Brandon's really going to like this. And I kind of talked to Art about it after the fact. I'd already pre-assembled it. And I said to Art, what do you think Brandon will do with these? And he said, this is clearly going to be exactly as you've enacted this evening. So my view was it's probably, I don't know, maybe a seventh of the miniatures that we use at the D&D night, but I just put a small smattering together. There's a slightly naked, what is she? She's a berserker, a barbarian dwarf figure who's moderately not safe for work. I included her. There's a little rat-like goblin who has a wolf 
like wolf headdress included him um the charion crawler which is the long kind of slug like thing with the um tentacles out the front but yes. the one that's the one that's standing up with the tentacles standing Shooting out with forward. like a, he's a bit like um what's the lobster not lobster the squid character on futurama he's um yes so he is a mind <laughs> flayer which is like a classic D creature uh, which Art actually identified when he first came out when they encountered him in a dungeon. So what I thought I'd do is collect together, and of course there are a bunch of orcs and other things that I threw in there as well. So what I did was collect together a small smattering. Most of those miniatures have actually been used in the game, which I thought was something that was pretty cool to get to as well. There are some smaller base ones that are um, gnomes of various descriptions. But yeah, I thought I'd just throw together. I think they're probably... If my math is correct, maybe of the 32 that I've included, maybe 16, I can't recall, probably 32. Yeah, um, there's 16, 16 squares. You know, yeah. uh, well, sorry to cut you off, but I just got to gotta describe this a little more. <laughs> uh, first off, when you open this up, it's it's foam rubber, and I love how people, have, how machines or whatever, cut the squares and mm. the various shapes into foam rubber. I think it's so <laughs> interesting. And I looked up online how people were like making their own. So they get an electric carving knife for a oh, turkey. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And they cut, right? So I went out and I got a bunch of foam rubber and I got a carving knife and man, it was awesome. I was carving everything, man. I was making things to hold scissors in and things to hold, you know, like a shoe, anything. So okay. this, this, when I open it up is like, um, looks like an, an ice cube tray almost. And exactly. there's all these rectangles and each one's got a figure. This is so cool because I used to go into this comic store. It was called Showcase Comics in Granite Room Mall. And I would say, look at all these awesome figures. And I, I always wanted to get one. And they were so expensive. I mean, oh, yeah. it's like when we're in middle school, you know. And I was like, dude, how can you charge like $18 for a thing that's like like as big as a nickel? And I'm like, they're so awesome. Dude, this town, thank you so much. This is awesome. And Love I so. just, I want to say one last thing. It's if you've ever had Whitman sampler, the chocolate <laughs> thing, there's a second layer. So like I get, I got 16 squares and I'm digging in and I'm like, this thing is pretty thick. It, is it just extra padding? I pull it up and there's a whole nother layer of figures. Dude, they're so awesome. Dude, they're so awesome. <laughs> They're, I could have sent you Mulligatani or Vietnam rations, but I thought this was going to be the way to do it. Dude, this is so – dude, this is so awesome. It's so awesome. I love the little archers, man. Uh, it's like army building. They should building. still smell. If you whiff them under your nose, you should still get the thing because I did them last week. This so. smells like a – It's a varnish, basically. Yeah, but it smells varnish. like the awful smell of opening your a textbook in the beginning of the school year. It's Certainly. just like, oh, I do not want to read this all year. Oh. <laughs> yes, but but oh, dude, oh, there's like a little um, like a like a little like a monk kind of master guy with like Certainly. a bow staff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he is cool. It's like a Morgan from The Walking Dead. I'm like, yes, dude. I tried to encourage people to play that character. No one was interested. So I basically passed you on. The figures that no one was interested in playing as characters. And if you, like the orcs, I probably have, I don't know how many orcs I have. I probably have about 20 odd of them. And actually, the, um, the case is labeled ogre, 
because there were two ogres that sat in the entirety of the case, which I pulled out at various times when, you know, ogres would eat. The problem with ogres is that they lose their cool really quickly and they end up fighting each other or other, like, enemy creatures. So they look big and mean, but in practical terms, they're not really as scary as they once seemed. Yeah, okay, okay. So there are no ogres in there. I, I removed the ogres and just used the ogre case for this particular there's there's two things that are really cool. There, there's like a um, it's like a wooden crate. Oh yeah. Uh, it's it's really cool because it's got a lid on it, and um, I mean you could probably fit uh like six BBs in there. That's how small it is, you know. And then the other cool thing is I know it's a fountain. Yes. It, it's it, but when it was laying upside down and flat, it looked like a, a headstone. And um, so I flip it around and look, and it really the first thing I thought of there's like a demon's face, and he's got this big gaping mouth. And I just thought that's like a medieval urinal. But exactly. why does it have a mouth there? There is a old time fountain in downtown Westchester looks just like this thing. And I always thought that's a urinal from back in the day. <laughs> it's disgusting, dude. This is so cool. Oh my god, this is so cool. There's like a little um like a leprechaun looking it's, guy. It's a gnome. It's an it's an abstract gnome. So I put this was a Kickstarter that I funded maybe two years ago. Um group out in Utah, Salt Lake City, around that area. And they made a series of gnomes and then they did a series but they didn't want to do gnome cliches, but one of the figures, which I was gonna send you, but actually is still playing a critical role in the D and D game, looks like a garden gnome. And they did him as a joke. And then all the other gnomes had the, like, the ears and the free-flowing hair. I think the one I sent you is an archer from memory. Um, or maybe I sent you a couple of the gnomes. I'm not sure how many I sent you. But, uh, yeah. There's one archer. It looks like a chick. And she mm-hmm. looks like a, like a Dragon Ball Z character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they look very, as, as you say, like that kind of anime style. Yeah, and then there's one that looks like, um, if you've ever seen uh, Chevy Chase, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, yeah. The, the the uncle, yes, the old uncle who's yeah. like the blessing, you know that guy. Yes. <laughs> it looks just like him. <laughs> yes, dude, these are so cool, dude. I can't thank you enough. Oh, Not my- at all. No, I mean this. These are the offcuts from a D and D game, basically. But I thought I've got to show you. Like, I mean, showing you photos and stuff like that—that's one thing. But actually having them in your hand and top marks out to my wife here. My wife sent the package to you. But she noted very critically that I've claimed that miniatures are like, you know, my my inheritance that will go on to some other sibling or these kind of things. And I'm just sending you a box of miniatures just as a as a parting introductory you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is part of my life. Because it's difficult to understand unless you actually have them in front of you. They're 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 so cool. They they look you know I've always looked at them in the store and um you know not these exact ones but mm-hmm. they're they're always just silver or pewter or gray so, right and so now these are um just to tell you it looks like it looks like they're painted white and then there's they have some like black to lay in like the different grooves mm-hmm. and it really gives them a lot of yeah. a lot of depth yep. and uh, boy they're just cool man. There's this guy who looks like he just. Uh, hugged up a mountain in like mongolia or something i mean he's got a awesome sword oh ah, yes he is cool and he's got it behind him like he's just like and he's got his hand on it like i'm gonna pull this out and cut your throat <laughs> they're so cool oh man they are really cool <laughs> this is awesome i seriously thought they were vietnam rations i actually 
told my mom because her brother was in Vietnam, and I said, uh-huh. my my friend, I think, mailed me some <laughs> Vietnam rations, and she sort of just she just sort of looked at me, at the t- and then that's it. I didn't go into it anymore. So, Very yeah, good. She, yeah. You'll have to explain. Sadly, I couldn't get you the Vietnam. In fact, the funny thing is I didn't even look for the Vietnam rations because, I mean, my view is if you tried the coffee and it had killed you on the podcast, that's not good podcasting stuff. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've actually recorded a podcast where the guy I was talking with, he was 70, and he basically like sounded like he was having a stroke and I had to call the police to check up on him and things like that. I've already had that experience of someone die or appear to die on a podcast while I'm talking to them. I'm not looking for that experience again. So if I were to find the Vietnam era rations, I would send with warning, take them around your loved ones, preferably relatively close to a hospital. And podcast before consuming. Mm. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh man, this is cool. Thank you, Tom. Not at all. Not at all. The least I could do to introduce the D&D game experience. And if you get into it, the books are relatively cheap as well, so I can send you a set of books if you're interested. Yeah, that, that it's, it's always been an interest of mine. I just never dove in. Mm. It sounds like you have a sufficient number of local friends that you could probably kick something off. And, I mean, you've got all the background in creating creative environments and imaginary worlds and this kind of stuff. It really isn't that much harder the dice are incidental over the storytelling part of it. Okay. There's a guy with a wolf head. It looks like a wolf ate his medieval costume. It's just really cool. I've never seen like a, a knight with a, a wolf's head on top. Uh, it's just cool. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just awesome. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to close the case here or else I'm going to talk about this the rest of the night. <laughs> I really I want to cut the, the rubber shield off the front, and like sew it on my sleeve. It's like it's like that cool. Very good. Yes. Uh, well, it ticked all the boxes as anticipated, and I'm sure our mutual friend Art will be very pleased to associate with us. <laughs> he, he couldn't believe we'd recorded three podcasts. He just, it was beyond him that uh, this thing was actually working out in a moderately successful fashion. I think he just assumed that we'd annoy each other and just give up after two, I guess. Oh, but, no. I, I, it's funny because I said, uh, my wife called me and said, my, my car won't go into gear. It's it's actually would go into gear. The, the gear shifter would slide up and down loosely as mm. if it wasn't it wasn't doing anything. I guess there's a cable in there that snapped. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, so I picked her up. I said, let's switch cars, throw the groceries in mine, head home, and I'll take care of it. And I, <laughs> it was like three hours ago. And I said, oh, the AAA came in like 15 minutes and said, like, eh, we can't do anything for you. It won't go into neutral. <laughs> so then I, I called a buddy and he came and helped me. But I said, I'm getting this podcast done, man. Said I, I'm not missing it. Uh, like, look, I, was, I look forward to it. I like it. Very good, very good. We've gotten listener feedback actually. Similar folks seem to uh, be enjoying this as well. The first feedback we got was from a fellow called Paul Brian Hancock. Now I've met Paul Brian Hancock. He is one of these longtime podcast followers of mine. He went to. We had a. It was in Adelaide, South Australia. I'm not sure if you can imagine this, but very flat, some coastal land. I went there to meet up with a group of listeners, and there must have been about 15 people that showed up, including Paul Brian Hancock, and also a guy I went to high school with. Now, I went to high school about two and a half days' drive from this meetup, but it turns out that the guy's wife's father was one of the listeners to Model Rail Radio and had just by chance invited him. So I met Paul Brian Hancock then. Very nice gentleman. He's um he's a retired investment banker, of all things. Anyway. Ah. Paul writes, I'm getting into this. 
I like the way both of you give each other space to talk. It's a real dialogue about interesting stuff. Looking forward to the artwork. Please don't include the cement dust in the illustration as it sounds terrible. I prefer <laughs> to think of Tom poking around in a relaxed way like something out of Charles Dickens rather than the vision of a worker in Chernobyl. Once again, thanks. <laughs> Is there any pleasant... I mean, I can't imagine a Charles Dickens character being a... I guess I guess the adults in Charles Dickens were okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, they're a bit cozy. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Please, sir, please, some more podcast. <laughs> yeah, Just a little right. more podcast. Anyway, um, the, the second piece of feedback that we received is from a gentleman who's known loosely in the model rail community as Bambi. His name is Robbie Grutzer, but he goes by the nickname Bambino, which is too long. We just shortened it to Bambi. Anyway, he says, Tom Bartley, you facilitate all your podcasts brilliantly. Not to come off as a fanboy, but all the ones you do are very interesting. I often catch myself almost answering back as if I'm in the conversation. Keep it up. And yes, my family hoarded a World War II CDN ration pack. My grandpa always said everything in there was good. I guess he's a Canadian. CDN must be the Canadian military in the Second World War. I'm not sure what you'd do with a World War II ration pack, but anyway. Oh, you eat it. I guess so. <laughs> well, guess no, they so. hoarded it. I mean, they hoarded it like, I guess, when the nuclear strike comes, this is to, you know, what they need to do. <laughs> so cool i should so. point out to folks we have a facebook page now we have a twitter account we have a website we have a podcasting feed for this so if folks want to contribute many many different ways to uh participate love it so we've covered the great unboxing in my list of notes i wanted to talk to you about something though this was on my um my topics for this evening as a collector i've noticed that there are two strategies that i typically see with other collectors the first is to collect everything, and the second is to collect things that are aesthetically interesting. And I think you, I mean, unless unless you just like collecting everything, most of your collections are based on what you find visually interesting, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. My my wife laughs at me because she's like, you you pick your like your sports teams by by like, and and, and other guys at work will say this player that player say I pick them on the logo. And the colors, <laughs> you know, they're like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, if I don't like the way it looks, how can I even get into it? And that's how I pick everything. You know, um, I got friends that laugh at me because they're like, you'll buy like the dumbest toy at the dollar store. And I'm like, but it looks cool. You know, I'm like, I only want that one. I won't buy like a whole set of something. It's very rare. Do I buy like I need to get every figure in this collection? I'm like, no way. I don't, I don't want that dude. He's, he's hideous looking, you know? And so it's totally what, what looks cool. It's never about like completing the, the set, you know? But that's, yeah, that's, that's how I feel. How about you? I'm exactly the same. In fact, it, when I was in the UK and I commissioned a painter who would paint my figures as I purchased them, I've got a bit of a shake in my hand. And as you've seen with the dip, figures my preference is always if i'm using something functionally to just you know give it some texture so you can actually see the underlying ridges and what have you but i'm not a particularly good figure painter so i entertained a figure painter who painted a majority of my figures and I had a bunch of other guys who painted uh, figures for me as well but they the main guy would always get frustrated because i was really 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 eclectic and this guy is typically what they're commissioned to do is paint armies so people will buy, I don't know, a hundred figures of a particular thing, maybe some cavalry or some armor or something like that. 
and then the painter will paint an entire army. Whereas I was sending this guy, literally I'd buy things on eBay, put together boxes of, you know, 20 random figures, just send them to him. So he'd be painting everything with me. And yeah, he'd always say, well, why don't you just collect one thing? And I'm like, I'm not really interested in one thing. You know, I'm reliving a certain aspect of my childhood where I saw these particular figures. And in order to get out of that range, yeah, we're of like minds associated with this. But in terms of the other folk, in terms of the folk that have to get every single one, I mean, do you just view them as like being a completely different? Because you go to shows, right? You go to conventions yeah. and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, one of my buddies, he, he, he totally does that. He wants to get everyone in the collection. What's cool about him is he, he'll actually like, like for, for Star Wars figures, you'll say he'll open them and he'll mm. display them. And, uh, I'm like, that's cool. And he, he, we sort of have the same view on like, whatever it is, be it an action figure or like a model car or anything. I'm like, there's like artwork that comes with the packaging and sometimes it's, it's completely unattractive and it makes it easier to open it up and you want to display it. But sometimes it's, you're not really going to do too much with it and it looks so cool in the package, you Mm -hmm. know? And, um, so we both kind of agree on that, but he definitely buys, he, he likes to collect everything, but I, I kind of don't understand that. I'm like, there's some characters that are so lame. I'm like, I I don't want it. (laughs) You know, there's like, I, I don't know. I just I never understood that. And when I was a kid, I would buy Ninja Turtles. And I remember I was like, I, I don't want April O'Neil. Like, I don't want to play with her. I don't want mm. her. I don't, I don't. And I ended up trading for her because I was like, I guess I, I got to get her. She's the only one I don't have. And then <laughs> I did. And I was like, this is stupid. I don't want her. So, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't I, I never got that. Um, the other thing is that it's I mean, certainly when I periodically show my collection to folks, there was a guy who painted a couple of my miniatures. Anyway, he's a detective. He's like a British detective. And he is a contemporary of mine as well. He's our age. He's, I think, 40. So when I finally met him, he was kind of this eclectic character who had a lot of other interests and just painted figures occasionally. He does absolutely tiny writing. So if you can see the figure that's that you have in front of you, or if you recall... Yeah. Imagine that they had a holster with a gun in the holster and he would write literally on the handle of the gun with probably just like a single bristle and he'd have like little gun on, written down on that and then he'd have big gun written on. And this is literally millimeter, you know, precision. So these kind of folk, they understand the nature of like a eclectic, you know, a few figures absolutely pristinely painted very well. But then I'm a member of a few groups where there are these folk that just collect absolutely everything. And you just think, I guess it's a, it's a completely different, from my perspective, it's a completely different mindset of one group where it's very easily to describe aesthetics um, and another group that are just obsessive collector types. But it's something that I like sharing with other people. I like showing other people, you know, I'm interested in these figures. And what I found actually is that, in the miniature community, the stuff that interests me interests a small group. But within that, those that are interested in some of the stuff that I like will typically like the other stuff that I like as well. And they like particular aesthetics, which I'm very receptive to, and they're very receptive as well. Do you find this as well? I mean, do you and, find people that like the same stuff that you like within your collections? Yeah, it's really, it's really kind of, it's odd, but it isn't. It's like, mm. you know, 
Yeah, it's exactly that. But like, you know, I'll say, oh, I like G.I. Joe's and somebody else say, well, yeah, I sort of like G.I. Joe's. But then I find they also like, you know, like Schwarzenegger movies like Mm. Predator and stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like they like that. And then we start talking about like Bruce Lee movies. And then I'm like, oh, you're a hockey fan. It's like we all sort of like like it's weird. There's so many different collectibles within that, mm. this enormous realm. That's not just figures or figurines or like, you know, mm. it goes to board games and it goes to Certainly. arcade games. And it just expands. And I'm like, there's so, there's so many people that like all this stuff. And I, I can remember telling a friend of mine who was sixth grade and there was a dance and he said, are, are we going to the dance? Like, what, what are you going to do? Like, you know, like what are you going to wear? And I said, I'm not going to this dance. I said, I, I, I'm going to make a GI Joe base tonight. And he was laughing at me, you know? And I was like, he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I said, I, I, I got a big base to make tonight. It's Friday. I'm going home. I'm going to, I'm going to build a fort and everything. And he's like, we, we got to go to the dance. And I said, dude, I, I, I have no interest in that. I said, I, I need to build a base. I need to get this done. I'm going to have a big battle tomorrow morning. <laughs> like he was like telling my friends, they were laughing at me, but I was like, I got years to do that other stuff, man. I said, I got to get some playtime in here. And like, there's so many people that are into it now. It's like, mm. it's, it's cool. And the conventions are cool. And, and just to go back and touch on the, topic of people that really collect everything i i really appreciate those people because there's there's certain guys you'll see and they'll have they'll have like let's say there's there's 10 of this in the first set of whatever they'll have them all and they'll have them complete and it's like i've never seen them in person you know and they'll even have the lame figures too that i don't i don't care about but i've never actually seen them in person you know i've seen the pictures Mm -hmm. and i'm like it's so cool to see them like somebody had the first the first release of all the the first series of gi joes the three and three quarter Mm -hmm. inch guys with all the weapons with the file cards and they had all this stuff and i said i've never actually been that close to all those figures together and i was like that is so cool and i said i would have never bought bought half of those because i they're kind of dorky looking but but i love them in the same sense i'm like i'm so glad they did that you know so i guess it takes a little of each but um yeah it's funny how it extends and and people like all this all the same stuff it just keeps going and going and then it gets like far off categories i'm like we still like the same stuff i'm like i don't know it's it's cool i totally agree though so we have a long list of topics here that is added and taken away from tennis courts other uses for tennis courts (laughs) so uh Okay, so we're looking to put like an addition on our house, and um, my dad likes to dabble in, um, you know, architecture, and mm. so we were talking about drawing out plans, and he's drawing out stuff, and 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 I kind of came up and said, well, let's spray paint in the yard. I got a decent sized backyard, and I said, it's it's just flat, you know, it's nothing mm-hmm. there. And I said, let's spray paint it out, and there's a tennis court near me that's under construction, and mm. it's just sort of all the nets are down. And they're kind of doing some work, but it's been sitting that way for a while. And I said, let's go out to the tennis court and take some chalk and, mm-hmm. we'll, and we'll bring tape measures and we'll draw it out. It'll be nice and flat. Nobody's going to care. They're going to redo the whole thing. And I said, that'd be pretty cool. And I thought, well, what else could you do with a tennis court? <laughs> like, like, like we used to play hockey on them mm. and they would, and they like when rollerblades came out, you know, and, and they would really get mad at us and uh, like the schools and stuff. And then one year the tennis court, like collected a lot of water and froze over and we actually mm. put skates on and skated mm. on it. And, um, but it, I just thought tennis courts, that one smooth <laughs> untouched surface that you can kind of, you can go and you can do different things with. I'm like, it would be cool to play a real life, like a uh, board game on a oh, tennis yeah. court. You oh, know, yeah. I guess people probably do that, but I don't know. Did it, did it, did it inspire any thoughts on your end? So, 
I recently saw The Founder, which is about uh, Ray Kroc. And yes. the, the McDonald's brothers actually used a tennis court in order to lay out the, you know, the exact places for the various, you know, pickle stations and what have you in McDonald's. And my background with tennis courts, my grandparents bought land like, you know, 60 years ago, as all these elderly people tend to do. And they actually had a tennis court on their land. And they used it for a variety of things. My uncle actually used to race his motorcycle around the tennis court and these kind of things. And then they had, they had pea hens, which are like small, much smaller chickens that lay smaller eggs. And they then ran a wire fence around the edge of the tennis court. And one face of the tennis court, they had this huge, I don't know what it was, like a peacock sanctuary. And the peacocks lived in there, but there were all these rats that came and lived because of the peacock food and this kind of stuff. So occasionally they'd let the peacocks out. And occasionally, very occasionally, something would happen, like some kind of critter would get into the peacock cage, and then the rats would come streaming out as well. So for me, tennis courts, I don't know when my grandparents sold that house, probably when I was about 10, but I was just getting into D&D and these kind of things when my grandparents had that house. And I don't think I ever could construct a battle you know, big enough, even with like Lego blocks or anything over that space. But what they do do now, particularly for things like naval battles, which are actually over huge areas when they're, you know, the Pacific or what have you, they will use large spaces and play them out on the ground. I think the largest battles, there's a bit of an interesting, you know, we have to be serious, we have to be on tables kind of thing amongst a lot of the military modelers. But I know in the model rail community, in particular, I think the Japanese model railroaders and these kind of things use those kind of spaces. And if you go to some of the shows in the national show, they'll always have, I don't know, 80 feet by 60 feet of like sectional layouts that people will stitch together. So yeah, I think tennis courts are, they're an interesting space, like just the physical size of them. But I just seeing my uncle race his motorbike was, I think, probably the coolest use that I've ever seen. <laughs> Tennis court. <laughs> was he racing with the nets up still? You know, he was scouting. So the tennis court, actually, the nets, I don't think the nets came to the edge. The nets, there was still a good six feet. It was quite yeah, a large okay. tennis court on either side. So, yeah, he was, uh, the nets, I think, were off and he was just, uh, <laughs> but he could actually get some quite good angular momentum. And, uh, I mean, I, the funny thing is I probably didn't see it. I probably am just reliving it through photos because there are a bunch of like black and white photos of him racing his motorbike around the tennis court. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just sort of popped into my head as thinking about. Mm. But so, so, what are you going to do with your back backyard? What What's the plan there? What architectural feat will go in the backyard? Well, I got a real small ranch house. Mm. Um, and so we basically just want to, um, extend the back of the house and put on a master bedroom mm. and, um, and then extend my kitchen. My kitchen's really small and we, you know, there's actually no, my house is built in like, um, I think it's 62. It was built in. Mm. And, uh, so we're just extending, we're basically extending the whole back of it and put a master bedroom, uh, a bigger kitchen. And sort of uh, turning up, we turned one bedroom into a dining room, and knocked down a wall, mm. which when we knocked down the wall, we found some old business cards in there. And I found a um, an old baseball card from 1963 cool. in there. So I, I think maybe the builders threw that in there because it was around the time when they built it, maybe. Uh -huh. But uh, 
Yeah, it's weird. Some of the digging we've done, I've come across a lot of pull taps for beer cans mm. and like toys, like little broken pieces of toys. So mm. I guess maybe the dad just drank beer while he watched the kids play sure. <laughs> before. But uh, yeah, just extending some stuff on and uh, making a little more living space, hopefully. So interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we were planning on using a, uh, the backyard as a sketch pad with some spray paint. <laughs> My neighbors probably love it. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Speaking of discarded things, sea glass was a topic that you'd floated. I love it. Do you, do you have oh, yeah. any interest? Oh, so I typically lived about two and a half hours from the sea, but we'd always go to the coast at least once a year. And my grandparents had a beach house that when I went to South Australia, uh, we'd go to periodically. And sea glass was always omnipresent. I've got a small collection um, that I maintain. But, yeah, sea glass was just always omnipresent in Australia. When you um, when you have, say you have a sea glass collection, well, mm-hmm. I just basically find it and I put it in like a bag from whatever other cool stones or shells I found that year. Mm. And like, and then eventually they all get mixed together in like some mm-hmm. box, you know, but do you have any, um, like, do you, do you sort it out? Do you label it? Oh, I keep it? it separate. I keep it separate. I mean, I have sea glass from very specific areas. So probably, I mean, my childhood, I would go and spend time with my grandparents that lived in Adelaide in South Australia, probably at least once a year. And sometimes I'd stay there. I mean, I stayed there so much that they considered having me live with them and go to high school in the areas because I spent so much time with them. So I have very particular sea glass that comes from where they have their beach house where my uncle now lives. That has very specific memories. Like it almost has like smell touch memories associated with it. Yeah. And then I have other sea glass that I picked up. I mean, the Cal- it's funny, actually. It's funny you mention this because the quality of California sea glass is very different to the quality of South Australian sea glass. Like the, the sand blasting or whatever is much, much finer on the South Australian sea glass. So it actually has a, almost like a matte, like a really matte finish. Whereas the American sea glass has a far coarser finish on it. Uh, uh, oh man, I'd love to. Yeah. I, I felt some fake sea glass, like they put in a sand blaster, mm-hmm. you know, and you could totally tell the difference. It was from what at least all my sea glass comes from the Jersey. The Jersey mm-hmm. Beach, you know, a few different beaches, but it's all from there. You mm. know? <laughs> and um, but the fake stuff is a lot more coarse. And and, you know, all the stuff I have is like really smooth. And I kind of have this rule of like when I'm walking along trying to find it, especially on the Delaware Bay. I'm on the Delaware Bay side uh, a lot of times. Um, there's a ton there. And but there's also um, just a lot of glass you come across. And so yeah. no matter. My rule is if if I pick it up, I got to take it with me. So even if it's not like nice sanded down, worn sea glass, I got to put it in my pocket and throw it out somewhere. But um, it's most of my stuff is brown and green mm. and some clear stuff. But I have a few blue and orange pieces, which are mm. that's like rare on what I've come across. So my my recollection of the glass that I have is that I realized that there were certain colors of glass that were older glass. Like the standard, in Australia, there's a standard beer bottle brown, which is actually quite a bit darker than the beer bottles in this country. And that was, it's a modern glass. Whereas the sea glass that I have has a very light tinge green, which would never be useful for anything currently, but was a much older glass. And 
I think I've got like it's slightly opaque because it's been chipped glass as well, which again doesn't fit into anything modern. So I have a keen sense when I pick this glass up at least of its age by the kind of glass it was, like fundamentally, as you've noted, perhaps. So, yeah, within my collection, I have very little modern stuff because it just doesn't interest me. And I learned pretty early on not even to consider picking up something that wasn't completely, you know, completely rounded, basically. Right, So my sea glass is of a quality which I just assume just indicates, like, long-term washing. And really, the more modern stuff... I don't know. I mean, it looks more like trash, right? <laughs> You've got yeah. something that has like this eclectic, as you say, um, almost a luminescence kind of magical quality to it. And then you've got stuff which just looks like, I don't know. I don't also know how long the process needs to take as well. I mean, yeah, I know. properly rounded sea glass, <laughs> it must need have needed to have been done for, and the sandblaster stuff, as you say, I mean, it's just not the same thing. Yeah. I, um, it's weird too because the colors. I mean, brown and green is like what I always come across, and and it seems like there. Some once in a while, I come across like a like it's thicker. It's a lot mm. thicker, and I always mm. feel like that's the older stuff, and it's Certainly. always worn down. And um, once in a while, I get a piece with like a letter on it, you know, oh, some something, okay. some kind of you know something like that, but um, or like a curved piece, maybe part of a neck. But I feel like there's just I, a lot of times I come across like a. Uh, like a, a rolling rock bottle, which I just, mm. I'm like, it's thin glass. It's barely worn down. I'm like, okay, this is newer. But some of, some is really like the, those Coke bottle thick, you know, green glass. But someone had given us a, um, a box of thank you cards and mm. it was all, all sea glass. And I, mm. this, I didn't think anyone was into this and I didn't want to give them out. I wanted the cards. I said, we're not, we're not giving these out. I want these cards. And so they had all different descriptions, but one, one, one section of the cards was all focused on the rarity. And it said that orange was the rarest of all mm. colors because, you know, I guess limited orange glass, but I didn't know if there was any truth to that, but, um, it was cool. It had, you know, where in the world you'd find different things, where there were glass makers. They discarded like cobalt blue a lot. Oh, yes. And uh, this, this is awesome. So, but I don't have hardly any of that stuff, you know. It's interesting, actually, because you, you're right. I mean, I guess I assume that most sea glass by just its weight is based probably around where it might have come from. But as a lot of these ships, which is a lot of the strange barnacles and various other things, kind of cover the world they'll suck in and suck out water in order to raise and lower the ships and i mean potentially through that they could pick up glass in that process and redistribute the glass all over the world yeah it's pretty it's cool i I always kind of wondered like does it really travel that far Mm. or does it just sink on the bottom i mean how far is it really moving i mean i Mm. guess i don't know there's but yeah, it was cool. It said something about, um, I thought it was in England that it said there was like this one area or maybe Wales where there was like a cliff and there was a glass maker and this, mm. there was a huge, you, you would find cobalt there. I remember it saying something mm. about that, but I thought that was pretty cool. I said, man, I, I'm only going to find brown and green in Jersey, but it'll, it'll work for me. <laughs> yeah. mm. Mm. You should get to Wales if you have the chance. It's really an amazing, very fascinating place. We didn't, when we lived in the UK, we never went to Wales. We only went to Wales last year, and I just like, why have I never? It was probably it's less than an hour's drive from where we lived, like really easy to get to, and it's just like a completely, it's like Lord of the Rings country. I mean, it's just a completely different world. The scales are all vast, and I mean, you can just imagine 
the Welsh as a people kind of coming out of this kind of craggly environment and, you know, just being unconquerable by the various English and other invading forces just by the, yeah, the nature of the land. Yeah, I always wanted to uh, go to Wales. I, I don't have many interests in traveling to too many places, but Wales I always wanted to see. Mm. And I think that Adelaide is the coolest sounding place. I don't know a thing about it, <laughs> but after you say Adelaide, I walk around the rest of the week thinking of Adelaide, Adelaide, Adelaide. Yeah. You've <laughs> got to visit Adelaide. I mean, Adelaide is <laughs> it's it's away from most of the main cities in Australia. But it just, it has such a culture of like laid back, lots of artists, lots of time in cafes. You just can't, there's good eating, there's good art, there's good creative people. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I was born there, so I'm slightly, slightly biased. But every time (laughs) I go back to Adelaide, it's just like, oh, I'm back in Adelaide again. There are a lot of Italians there, actually. I mean, the food (laughs) quality in Adelaide is based on the large number of Italians and to a certain extent the Greek community there as well. But that's why you get amazing food there because they get, you know, they make wonderful coffee and all different kinds of pastries. And then, you know, you stick around for the food. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, so if you ever get to Adelaide, plus I know you could walk down the streets of Adelaide and you would be uh, beset by folks that are familiar with your prior work as well. So It seems like anything could be possible like man the world's best archers come from adelaide or i'm headed up to adelaide for the weekend like everyone's like so jealous you know like yeah. oh, he's going to adelaide i gotta cut my lawn this weekend i'm like oh yeah yeah I'll see you after the weekend have fun yeah. <laughs> you know, i'm like oh, i'm going to a convention in adelaide oh, yeah. south adelaide that doesn't matter you know? <laughs> well south adelaide is interesting because it basically goes into the coast very quickly i mean actually you can go far down it but if, if you Divert any way westward, you're on the coast, basically. So Okay. It's a very nice part. Anyway, moving on. What, what, what else do yeah, you have? Sorry? No. Uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> no, no, no. You can, feel free to interrupt me and take this thing in a completely different direction. What What Aussie Rules football team would you cheer for? Uh, I don't want to say root for, <laughs> but what would you cheer for if you were in Adelaide? Oh, it's the Magpies. The Magpies are the local team. That's the magpies? Yeah. Okay, I got two magpie shirts. So that all works out good. Yeah. In fact, it's funny, actually, because you mentioned falconry as a possible topic. Oh, yeah. Uh, the closest thing we have to falconry in Australia, although they're completely and utterly uncontrollable, <laughs> are magpies. These birds, the, these are the Brandon Camillo birds, actually. In mating season, their testicles swell to some like <laughs> unbelievably alarming size, and they basically just dive bomb people. I've, I've personally had them impale their beaks in my skull. Really? Yeah, no, they can blind kids. They really are. During mating season, the magpies go crazy and they just basically dive bomb people with really, really sharp beaks. And it's a very strange experience. People wear, like, cycling, like, heavy-duty cycling helmets to try and deflect the magpies diving um, through (sighs) the season. Why do they do it? They're protective. They they think we're there to take their women. I don't know. I mean, it's very <laughs> crazy. The whole thing is like they have tiny, tiny little bird brains and huge testicles, and they just basically dive bomb people. And some areas, like where I used to get off the bus from school, there were like two competing magpie nests that would just dive bomb the crap out of you. <laughs> and this is how actually like they pierced the upper part of my head and various other things. I mean, they really are vicious. 
because they just basically fall from the air with their entire body weight on this beat point, which is, I don't know, it's really sharp and not particularly pleasant. But when you said falconry, I immediately thought the Australian version of falconry are the magpies, but they're not any... Well, there are actually... There are people who will feed magpies, but they're they're strangely, like, in in their mating season, very, very unintelligent, very violent. And then regular time, it's probably just the female magpies that are actually the intelligent ones. I mean, people will maintain them as pets and, you know, feed them, like, ground beef and stuff like that. And, you know, and then just these male magpies do what they do. But falconry is really interesting. How big are they? Um, yeah. They vary in size. Like, there are smaller magpies, which are probably about maybe six to eight inches, probably well under a pound. And then you have the larger birds, which could be, I mean, as a child, it felt like they were like maybe a foot long, maybe even longer than that. Um, and, you know, wingspans. But when they dive you, they basically become missiles with beaks out pointing, <laughs> just like... And sometimes actually, sometimes they use their wings to actually coordinate a dive bombing attack as well. So what I remember, you get off the bus and you just hear this, and then it just punches your head. And afterwards, you'd be like diving for cover as you got off the bus. The psychology of magpie attacks is very, very strange. But yeah, probably, I don't know. I mean, roughly once a year, they blind a kid. But the thing about Australia is, the native species are, like, respected in a very, very curious way. So kangaroos are just in plague precautions. I mean, kangaroos haven't really had a natural predator, I mean, ever. The dingoes weren't really a natural predator for them. And, you know, Australians felt bad because they introduced species like the rabbits. These are, these are British and Irish Australians. Introduced the rabbits and these kind of things. But now the kangaroos, you can be in a, su- a suburb of a city, a major city, and you just have kangaroos bounding through. They just coexist, you know, in this environment. They walk out in front of traffic, this kind of stuff. <laughs> kangaroos are remarkably good eating. I want to point this out. So for periods of time, they do have culls and they do have some form of farming of them. But kangaroo is really, really delicious meat. Slightly gamey, really long tendons. So it's like, I don't know, it's like de- if, if deer had really long tendons. But it's really um, very low fat, slightly gamey. It has its own unique taste, but it's pretty good eating. So, huh? I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah, there's. Oh man, there's so many deer here. I mean, they're just everywhere driving home at night, and they love running out in front of you. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so falconry. falconry. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. My friend's father um, was into that. I guess mm. he sort of still is, but maybe not so much. But um. You know, he would just, he would train them and I would always ask him, I said, what about like, do they just take off? Like, can't they just fly away? And he said, oh yeah, there's, you eventually get to that point where like, you know, you got to kind of turn it loose and, and see if it comes back. And it's like the make or break point. And I said, do they ever just take off on you after you train them and train them? And he said, oh yeah. You know, you turn one loose, that thing gone after like months of training it. But he said a lot of them, a lot of them won't, they'll stay, you know? And he was saying how they how they catch them, you know, in the field, and uh, it was pretty cool. I remember in high school, he used to have he always had a falcon, you know, hmm. and I thought, man, this guy's like a wizard, man. This is like so yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, t- two two interesting points about falcons. The first is savethefalcons.org. I need to point this site out. This my mother worked in the Middle East for a period of time as a diplomat, 
And I was always really interested associated with the Al-Qaeda stories associated with, like, Clinton was so close to killing bin Laden, but mysteriously didn't send the missiles when bin Laden, you know, had something going on. Apparently, bin Laden was out falconing with some prince from the United Arab Emirates. So, SaveTheFalcons.org is a site devoted to all the links between falconry and terrorism, which I think is an interesting <laughs> juxtaposition. The guy's a bit of a nut. I mean, the guy's basically the equivalent of a 9-11 truther, but specifically associated with falcons. Uh, but, you know, that's an interesting site. The other thing, when I think of falconry, I think of medieval, you know, people that like to get dressed up in armor and have swords and all this kind of stuff. And I reflect very strongly associated with that whole... I mean, here there are Renaissance fairs and these kind of things, which are always interesting, particularly if you studied any form of history. In the UK, what they used to do, which was wonderful, was if... My wife's into cloth crafts and things like that. So when I'd go to one of her cloth craft shows, they'd have, like, something for the men, which was stunning. It was a really smart idea. So one time they had, like, radio-controlled planes, but another time they had men doing like medieval sword fighting reenactments and it occurred to me that you mentioned rugby well you mentioned australian rules which isn't quite the same thing as rugby but i always thought of like the knights and these kind of folk as being the kinds of people that would play rugby like they went to private schools they were did you experience rugby players i mean some places in the u.s does have you know they still have rugby as a thing does that mean anything to you oh yeah hugely uh well our friend art his dad basically brought rugby to our area and um it's always like it's always a topic at his house and it's funny he, <laughs> he loves he loves rugby i mean i yes. didn't know a thing about it before hanging out there but he is the only person i've ever heard here talk about aussie rules football mm. and i didn't and art too and i never knew mm. what it was and i looked it up and um I think it's Satantis is or that was the company that would broadcast it. You can't you can't get a hold of it here unless you have like mm. the Dish Network or something, which I don't. So but- I need to I need to make one point very very clear. Rugby is in rugby league is played outside of it's played typically in New South Wales and Queensland and also obviously in the UK and New Zealand, a bunch of other places. Australian rules is a completely different game, completely. and that's played in Melbourne and Adelaide. And now they're starting to expand to like other teams. But Aussie rules is like ballet. It's about men getting up on other men's shoulders. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of kind of, I don't know, balancing and flying through the air. And there's a lot of beauty in it. Rugby league is the ball is secondary. It's about basically guys that don't have necks ramming into each other at high speed, fighting one another in a bloody fashion, basically. I, I, well, these so his dad uh, would always go on about rugby, and I would say, "Man, I, rugby's the worst sport." At you know, I would really try to get him aggravated because he loved mm. it, and I and we, I would always do this various things with him, and he would he would get really mad at me, and then I said, "But Aussie rules football, that's a sport," and then he would smile again and get so excited, and uh, I said, "Tell me, tell me about Aussie rules football." And he would like just go on and on, but. Art and Lee always would go on about rugby, and I remember Art would play it, and he would always be like smashed up and injured. And I said, it reminds me of like the first Ultimate Fighters, where like mm. the guy would go out and fight, he'd win, and then the same night he'd have to fight again, and then he'd win, and then he'd have to fight again. These guys would be like maimed trying to make it to the end. And I said, I don't know how you can play week to week. I mean, it looks so well, brutal. Here's how, here's how they do it: they start at a very young age. So where I'm from, 
where I kind of grew up wasn't Adelaide. It was a place called Canberra, which is the capital of Australia. Outside Canberra, there's a place called Captain's Flat. These kids would start age maybe six, seven, eight, and they'd wrestle pigs. Now, you might have heard like the old, I don't know whether it was the gladiators or whatever, how they'd grow up with bulls wrestling bulls. Well, these kids would grow up wrestling pigs. And by the time they were 16, they were just solid muscle. They had no necks. They had to, like, in the wrestling process, I guess they'd been bruised up around the eyes and what have you. So they'd have tiny little eye sockets. They were physically very, very different. And the rugby families would breed with other rugby families. So, like, the women folk would actually look like the men folk and these kind of things. And they would have these superhuman creations, which were these rugby players. And they'd go into bars and they'd clear bars. If, if a group of rugby players would go into a bar, everyone would leave. Because there was nothing pleasant that was going to happen there. <laughs> there was going to be some fight. And the thing about rugby is that it's so violent. Like, before I came to this country, you had sports down as, as one of the topics. Before I came to this country, I would watch rugby periodically. When I came to this country, there was no sport as violent as rugby. So I started watching boxing because it was slightly less violent, slightly made more sense. But in Australia, I once uh, knew the captain of the Australian rugby team. And I had to interact with his son. And this guy was just terrifying. I mean, he'd come in front of you. It's like having a real Masters of the Universe guy in front of you. (laughs) And you know that he's got, like, a temper and all this kind of stuff. And then you've you've got this strange kind of custodial relationship with the guy's son as well, who's basically the father in breeding, you know. He's going to be the father. And the son would do all kinds of crazy crap but there was nothing you could do you just had to let him do what he was going to do because his father was this big rugby player but uh they're still there i mean i when i went back um i went back towards the end of last year and my friends were making jokes that uh in captain's flat they have like tinder for farm animals and that's the way they raise these kids is that they just spot them with i mean back in the day when we used to go through captain's flat you'd see the kids wrestling the pigs and you i mean i see wrestling here and it's I don't know. I don't know the affinity for for wrestling in this country. But when you're wrestling an animal, which is kind of semi-feral and usually four times your size, you've got to be really seriously, not only strong, but able to deal with being trodden on and flattened and various other things. And rugby players are just a different breed. Yeah, it's it's at first, you know, I didn't have any, I had no idea what I was even looking at. And then once Lee sort of explained how the game works, and I always thought the, I, I thought it was really cool, but I thought the ball was really cool. I just, I don't know where they came up with the ball, or if American football kind of stole that, or vice mm. versa. I, I don't know, but I always like to see what what the sports played with, you know, like a hockey puck or whatever. But the ball, they always had rugby balls over at the house, and I was like, these are the coolest things, man. I was like, I've never seen any other rugby ball around now now you see it a quite a bit more see a Mm. lot a lot more of it around the area but um it's definitely cool it's definitely once once they kind of explain how the game works i liked it but i definitely like um i like i mean hockey's my my favorite sport and i love i really like aussie rules football Mm. um it just seemed like fast and i thought man these guys can kick the ball so far and i guess a lot of them come over and kick in the nfl after they're retired Mm. <laughs> but uh yeah that, yeah i don't know it's it's pretty cool you guys have some pretty cool sports over there then to make up for all of this we have cricket 
Cricket looks pretty cool. I don't know cricket, anything about it. Look, if, if, if it were cricket players ruin the sport of cricket, it's, I've got to probably explain this. Australia is beyond sports crazy. I mean, it makes the US look moderately sports sober. Australia, there's only one way to get out of Australia. You can't be a talented software engineer. The only way you can get out of Australia, only for a very short period of time, is if you become an actor or if you win gold at the Olympics. So from a young age, I talk about these kids wrestling pigs. We were, you know, in the swimming pool, swimming, 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 swimming. The only way we could be, you know, worthwhile Australians is if we got an Olympic gold medal. Then there was the cricket season. And the cricket season, the thing about cricket is if it was played normally, it'd be fine. The problem was that probably about 20 or so years ago, it's probably gone on for a lot longer, but I'm just very sensitive to the last 20 years of cricket in Australia. It became sports betting and the cricket players would just throw games for large amounts of money, particularly when they would play in South Africa or India. Like I think when they play outside Australia, they have different rules that govern them. So you've got these guys who are, you know, overweight, smoking cigarettes, and then they go <laughs> out on the cricket pitch and they're just not even particularly good, but they've, the whole system is so corrupt around cricket in Australia. And now I go back and I watch the news and, of course, the cricket players are the stars. And you hear what they say and it just makes absolutely no sense. I think cricket as a game for children is probably a relatively good thing. I was always the wicketkeeper, which is what's the, the catcher behind the, the, you know, who gets the ball thrown at him in baseball. It's basically the same thing, except you have to kind of crouch down behind the wickets. There are three wickets with things on the top and just wait for the ball to come at you. And it's a really, really hard ball. And if the kid is a good, I can't even think what they're called now, a, a bowler, if the kid's a good bowler, then the ball will come at you at pace because they put spin on it and they do all these kind of tricks where they bounce the ball on the ground. And they, what they're trying to do is bounce the ball and get it up and hit the wickets without the guy whacking it with the cricket bat. So I don't know. Cricket was never, I mean, I had to play it. I had to play it. <laughs> and I played it for a number of years because there were just no options. But as soon as sports weren't compulsory in Australia, I so soccer I liked. Soccer was one of these games that was like long distance running because eventually everyone would get tired. And if you could manage your energy, you could actually get a second wind in like the second half and actually do some interesting stuff with soccer. But yeah, sports is just a different thing in Australia. And actually, I was thinking about this as a topic. The only sport that my wife follows now, I don't follow any sport. I used to follow periodically boxing, but the characters, the characters, the fighters just don't have any character anymore. And I don't know, I don't really follow other sports, but the only sport my wife continues to follow is competitive eating. And that is a very, very curious thing. <laughs> oh, that's great. Wait, who's your favorite boxer? Oh, you know, it's funny you mention that because just in terms of batshit crazy, I'm a, I like Mike Tyson. I, I like Tyson. There's, there's nothing... There's, there's a song, actually, which I was wondering if you'd ever heard, and I'm trying to think what its name is. It's basically a series of Tyson quotes that are so unbelievably offensive. It's by Diatwood, <laughs> the South African band, and it's called... What's DJ High Tech is something. If you do a search for Diatwood DJ High Tech on YouTube, and it's it's a series of really obscene Tyson quotes. Now... The DJ, DJ High Tech is actually gay and most of them are associated with kind of prison sex and other things. 
And it seems really, really offensive when you listen to it. And then you realise this is just from a single press conference that Mike Tyson <laughs> gave in 2003. Like, all uh, these things associated with, uh, you know, romantic prison rendezvous, let's just put it that way, are all are all verbatim Mike Tyson quotes from a single press conference. So when they released this track, it was like the censors came down, everyone's like, this is disgusting. And then it was noted that actually this was a Mike Tyson press conference that people had, uh, you know, that had been televised, perfectly fine entertainment tonight had covered and all this kind of stuff. So I think Tyson, <laughs> just in terms of like absolutely the quintessential, like genius boxer, and I mean, obviously there, there are plenty of other genius boxers, but Tyson, just absolutely brutal. And really, I mean, what the sport, you know, you have all this highfalutin nonsense associated with boxing. No, it's about these these men that can knock out other men very, very rapidly. And it's interesting, actually, that you mentioned the Rocky Trilogy, because that was something where I, I don't know, through my childhood, whatever, I never watched boxing. It was only when I came to the US and then I went back and watched the Tyson fights and these kind of things, because... You know, you just when you see it in a kind of strategic sense, it's a completely different sport. Yeah, it's cool. I, I always like boxing, and uh, I guess just from watching the Rocky movies, I, I that mm. you know, as a kid, I was like, oh, all right, <laughs> no, sure sounds different when they're hitting each other, but yeah, Tyson, there's a cool documentary on Tyson. I don't even know the name of it, but it's it's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's all interviews with him and just you know, uh, yeah, I've know seen one that. recently where. You're just basically moving towards the ear-biting phase, like the ear-biting Tyson. And, yeah, I've, I've watched a documentary on him recently as well, and he's certainly one of the... I need to I need to forward you on the D. Outwood um, song, though, because it's uh, it's kind of a continuation of a number of themes that you started with in your musical career, I think taken to a, a certain perspective. You had Down Sunny D <laughs> as a topic. Yeah, what is Sunny D, dude? It's disgusting. What is it? I've never drunk it, but I've we have local Don't. we have local <laughs> Takaria liquor stores, which is just the area that we're in. And they like when my wife gets sick, for example, she send me out to find orange juice, and I go to all the local. And I shouldn't do it. I don't do it anymore, actually. But when I first when we first moved here, I'd go in. They have nothing that's living, or ever <laughs> has once been living <laughs> in the Takarias. <laughs> what is Sunny D? It's like, it looks I, like it's it's like like vitamin pills that have been crushed up and mixed it's, with something. It's like uh, I don't know who. It's like that that orange thing that runs around Bugs Bunny, that big furry orange thing. It's like his mucus. It's so mm. gross looking. I don't know, but it seemed like when I was a kid, a lot, so many people had that in their fridge. I mm. tried it once, and I was like, it's so thick, it's so foul, <laughs> it's still in stores. It's just so repulsive. Yeah. I think it's melted it's... down Hot Wheels tracks. Right. Like no, I've, I've never had any, I mean, I guess what's the most disgusting stuff that I ate here and then realized that I probably should never eat? I don't know. I, I don't even have those memories anymore. When I go and I see something that looks like something, but it's clearly something else, it's just not, not in any way interesting to me. It's, uh, inspired by Lee Webb. I was talking with Art on Tuesday, and he was talking about Lee's chilies, where he had blended Thai chilies with jalapenos. I'm a Thai chili aficionado. I've got a batch that I'm growing currently. I had a bush that I maintained for like four seasons, just based on the quality of the chilies. Have you ever delved into hot sauces or chilies or anything like that? Yeah, I love his hot peppers. And he's given like two different 
you said two different things about uh, how he's crossbred them and what chili, what peppers are mm. in the crossbreeding. But he he said the uh, jalapeno, habanero, ties, and chilies. And another time he he switched one of them up and said there was something else. But he's given me the plants. I've grown the plants many times, and um, we, you know, we slice them up, and they're tiny. They look like ornamentals, mm-hmm. and um, we slice them up, and then we pickle them. And uh, they're phenomenal. And for some reason, it's like something we always eat in the uh, in the fall when football mm. season comes. And you know, you have your cheese with it. And then, um, mm. and he loves to explain how, like, uh, you know, you eat cheese with it because the fat bonds with the hot, Certainly. and then yeah. and then it separates when you go to the bathroom the next day. And he loves to tell me that every time. And I said, yes, yes, I got it, Lee. But so, I, you, yeah, you mentioned you mentioned. Uh, Provolone cheese, last recording, sharp provolone. I've never had any luck with provolone. I can't even say the cheese. That cheese that you mentioned last time. I have some Thai chilies in the refrigerator, and I wrapped the rubbery cheese, the previous description, around one of them and ate it today. And I thought, this is the way to do it. But I'm I'm a bit of a purist. I mean, I smuggled, when I was in Thailand and Malaysia, they have like 12 different kinds of chilies. You can't imagine the diversity and what we have is Thai chilies here, not really the same thing. And the bird's eye chilies, the actual tiny bird's eye chilies, they sell as ornamental things here. They don't, they refuse to sell it as chilies because it seems they claim it's too hot for, you know, American customers. But no, I'm, I'm a Thai chili aficionado. And as you say, you put them in vinegar, you leave them for upwards of six months. They have a completely different flavor. Have you dabbled in hot sauces as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do like hot sauces, not as much as I, I used to, but uh, I was in the San Diego airport one time and bought one mm. of these novelty, like, you know, I, I don't, what is the uh, measurement of hotness in hot Scoville. sauces? Scoville. Yeah, that's it. And there was like some ridiculous thing. And we had put it in a friend of ours uh, food and, you know, mm. and all that happened. But I do like it, but I, I don't want it to be obscene. I want to be able to enjoy it too. But his, his um, hot peppers, Lee's are, they're excellent, man. They're awesome. Hmm. But but not not hugely. I don't know that much about it. Yeah, certainly Art took great pleasure in talking about because uh, I've thought about I've thought about blending, but really I'm a purist. And the stuff that I like in Thai chilies, like real Thai chilies, is that you can have a full expression of flavors of kind of citrus flavors and woody flavors and these kind of things. And I don't know. I I grew I grew jalapenos last year, excessive quantities of jalapenos accidentally, and. I had black jalapenos and purple jalapenos and all this kind of stuff. They weren't really, they're not the same thing as a Thai chili. Like, I don't know. I'm just a purist. But with regards to hot sauces, my dream has been to make a hot sauce in this country. Because hot sauces, you don't, you probably don't know this, but hot sauces are like the major growth in a large portion of the US economy. Like if you take certain states, hot sauce, artisanal hot sauces, actually account for, like, the largest portion of money into the various states, which is more about the poverty of various states than anything. So (laughs) my perspective was I wanted to make a series of hot sauces. I tried in Vegas to bottle it down and tried a various series of techniques, but I've never really gotten it right. But I I have a, a vast quantity of hot sauces. In fact, my New Year's resolution this year was to eat half the hot sauces that I have. And I have some that are, like, mad dog... Uh, like they actually take the scoful extracted capsicumoid as the actual like raw ingredient 
and they add back capsicumoid oil into an already existing hot sauce. I blew out my hot sauce eating, however. They have a Dave's Insanity sauce, then they have, like, Dave's Super Insanity sauce and what have you. I once applied half a bottle to a pizza and then proceeded <laughs> to eat the pizza just because, I guess, in my youth... did I, t- I told the violin story, right, where I bought the violin under the influence of chili peppers? Yeah, and you were... So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my youth was spent constantly upping my spice rating... So when I got these hot sauces, and I've taken a few back to Australia and had them on celery with my brothers and what have you, they just aren't really that hot compared to some of the stuff that I'd eaten previously. So I thought this thing is mocking me. I emptied it out onto a pizza. I blew out my spice eating for six months eating that thing. Like <laughs> I, I did things to my stomach and intestines that were never supposed to happen. And, yeah, I, I couldn't eat hot food for, like, six months after doing that. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I return periodically to hot sauces. <laughs> and yes, this year I will have a large crop of chilies. So I'm looking forward to it. I tried to make, um, I overdid it with coffee this one time. I tried to make like a really strong coffee. So mm. I, I, I brewed coffee with coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was disgusting, man. But uh, not the same, but sort of along the lines, you know. One topic I had, uh, we haven't really talked about horror film. And I'm... No, I'm a dabbler in horror films, and I like horror films of the 80s in particular. The Fly, for example, is one of my favourites in that kind of broad genre. A bunch of other films in that time period. But one of the things that I found fascinating was the work of a guy called H.R. Giger, who basically created the Aliens aesthetic, but did a bunch of other things as well. He also was a model, well, not even a model rail enthusiast, he had a ride on train that went through his house and his garden as well. Are you familiar with H.R. With Giga's work in terms of the alien aesthetic and all this kind of stuff? No, but um, uh-huh. no, not at all. So I he's never... a German guy. He's kind of a crazy German guy, but he does a lot more than just the alien stuff. The alien stuff is mainly the idea that you have creatures that basically genetically mutate humans to make them into... So the human is both the physical host and also the genetic host obviously the face suckers and all this other kind of stuff but yeah i i wasn't sure where where you fitted into the whole horror genre and these kind of things i guess it's sort of like the the same way i collect things just here and there i pick ones that i like um yeah i i do like horror movies but just certain ones um i don't even know uh you know, for, I only saw the movie Halloween for the first time like five years ago. Hmm. Yeah, I, I never saw it before that. But I saw like probably all the Friday 13th, all the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Hmm. I never – I like Jason better than Freddy, but I yeah. liked Nightmare on Elm Streets better than Friday the 13th, if that makes any sense. Certainly. Certainly. I kind of like the box covers of Friday the 13th. But the movie, I like Nightmare on Elm Street. But I like I like some bad bad horror movies. There's one called Snow Beast. I always was mm. in, I thought that was hysterical. I'm kind of. Do you like the trauma uh, movies? Do you familiar with the trauma movies like the Toxic Avenger and these kind of things? Yeah, I, I like Toxic Avenger, and uh, I don't know if it's the same people they did. It's called like Giver. You ever mm. hear of that? Mm. It's like this robot looking guy. It's not horror though, but it's the same sort of sort of kind of. The way it's shot, it looks the same way. But I do, I do like the Tox Avenger. You like him? Yeah. No, I think I think the Trauma franchise really fascinates me because it's kind of. I mean, I it's interesting actually. Cattlebag 
has elements of that. Like, I was wondering if you would move into the kind of trauma franchise with that, those kind of, they're not the same kind of shorts that you do in, in your stuff historically, but they, they all have like certain elements where there's a kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. This is like, clearly ridiculous but at the same yeah. point let's dig into it even more you know let's <laughs> yeah. embrace the ridiculousness of it <laughs> a lot of duct tape <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i i i do but i like the cheesier horror stuff i always mm-hmm. i got a fascination with why the blood is so orange in those movies mm. <laughs> it's like so so weird looking but yeah i don't know why do you have do you have a favorite of horror movies um, well, I went back and I saw The Fly again. The Fly strikes me. It's interesting, actually, because what would you classify Robocop as? That's a futuristic movie, right? But it's, Yeah, it's like an action. There's I a lot of horror in there, too, though. I mean, there's a lot of blood, a lot, a lot of gratuitous, like, violence associated with, like, limbs being blown off and things like that. So you're right, it is action. But I think there are certainly, there's a kind of dark future element to it as well. It's not traditional horror. But, you know, it's certainly got a lot of blood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? RoboCop, I, I kind of look at, like, a lot of action movies. I'm like, there's, like, action, there's horror. But then there's just all-around cool. There should just be a category called, it is yes. cool. This is a cool-ass film. And, mm. you know, like, R- RoboCop is cool. But, like, there's some Chuck Norris movies that are not cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, I do not like these at all, you know? And yeah. there's some Van Damme movies that aren't cool and horror, but... There's some that are just like, man, this is such a cool movie. And yeah, RoboCop does have a lot of like, there's a lot of like gory stuff going on in there. Man, that guy gets hit by the car. <laughs> that thing is oh, awesome, yeah. you know. Oh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty vicious, you know. The robot, like, uh, you know, you have five seconds to comply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like everybody <laughs> knows that. It's so it's gruesome, man. You're just like, oh, this guy is done. But yeah, it is. That's like way deeper than than just action, you know. Sure. But it's it's definitely it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so I think probably the Fly, RoboCop, these kind of films, and I mean Schwarzenegger's films are in a completely different category. I mean, yeah. I, when we were thinking, or when I was, when we were putting down names for this podcast, like the character names in Terminator Two, and I mean, for me, Terminator Two was I, probably because I'd come from LA a couple of years previously. I went to when my parents separated, my father moved to LA, and I went and stayed with him for a month. But because of him working, I went to school in LA, and. That was really a seminal thing in my life associated with there's this other place. And, yeah, so the L.A. components of Terminator 2 I liked. I also think it's the first Schwarzenegger film where there were kind of contemporary age people in it. The first Terminator is beautifully dark, but I think the second Terminator is just an orgy of Schwarzenegger being Schwarzenegger. And... Yeah, they, they, as you say, they're a different genre of film again. They're their own thing. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're cool. I, I, you know, I only saw the first Terminator like three years ago. Wow. That's it. I say, oh, well, I saw pieces when I was a kid. Mm. I saw the Terminator get crushed and, uh, and, you know, a lot of bits and pieces and, uh, but I never sat and watched the whole thing. I kind of saved it. Like I saved mm. Clockwork Orange forever. Oh, yeah. And oh, I watched yeah. that about five years ago, and yeah. I, I love it, you know. But I, I, I saved the first Terminator, and I'd seen all the other Terminators. But yeah, yeah his his movies are so cool, man. 
uh, Running the Man. The first Terminator, so- yeah, Running Man is another one. When my parents got divorced, my mother got a video, like a VCR. She couldn't use it. It's the same thing with the computers. So I used to program it to record. And Australia has no laws associated with, or at the time, had no laws associated with nudity on television, had very relaxed laws associated with violence on television. So they'd basically show these movies uncut, with commercials in between, obviously. So, yeah, I watched all the Schwarzenegger movies just by recording them on the TV. The newspaper would come. I'd go off and program the VCR. My mother didn't have a clue what I was doing. And she'd be out because she was working. So I could then come home and watch all these movies. And it completely changed my perspective on the universe, basically. <laughs> yeah. Having access to these movies. But the first Terminator film was really impactful for me. There's a, there's a plot. I don't even know if I should put this out in podcast form. I think I will. My suspicion, actually, is the true Terminator is that the guy that comes back is act like there's some strange like Greek tragedy element to this Terminator movie that the guy's sent back to sleep with a woman to father the child to you know there's this strange time continuum in the whole thing. It just the layers on layers on layers of like really curious stuff in the first Terminator movie. Then the franchise just got lost. Like after the second Terminator movie, the third one, the TV series. It's like they completely lost the momentum of the franchise. It just oh, yeah. dropped off. Yeah, horribly. they sometimes <laughs> like yeah, that movie True True Lies. I mm. and I like I like a lot of those movies, but at the end they're just like fighting on top of a like a Harrier jet outside of a building. <laughs> and uh, yes. uh yeah, they kinda of lost it there. But the Total yeah. Recall, I think, was the kind of jumping the shark movie as far as I'm concerned with the whole Schwarzenegger franchise after I mean Total Recall was so curious and had like curious slightly flubbed up plot elements to them like the continuations weren't properly I don't know the whole nature of the computerization and you know mysteriously now he's in some hacking base and then mysteriously the whole thing could have just been a programmed dream you know nudge nudge wink wink so yeah I think that was probably the beginning of the end for the Schwarzenegger franchise as far as I'm concerned I mean, the original Commando. Have you seen the original Commando? A million times. Oh. <laughs> so awesome. And they Conan trap him the in that Barbarian. shed. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, all the Conans. Um, you know, like Hercules goes to New York before mm. he's even talking. He's even got one called The Villain, mm. um, where he doesn't even say a word. Uh, actually, mm. he does. At the end, he says one line. And... Uh, that's that's like a western. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's it's pretty cool though. It's funny. It's a comedy. Um, but yeah, I never liked Total Recall. I couldn't. Mm. I couldn't. I we watched that. We rented it, and the air conditioning was broke. It was so hot. I was like nauseous. I was like, this movie sucks. I hate it. I was like, what? What's he pulling out of his nose? I was like, yeah. let's get out of here. But um, of course, you know, Predator is awesome, and even uh, Twins is awesome. You know, the Conan. Did you have any exposure to the Conan comics? A little bit, but not not much, but I know them. The Conan comics that I remember, and I've tried to actually find them, were incredibly graphic and incredibly bloody, and also, obviously, copious quantities of female nudity, which is always important when you're five and six. And the thing about those comics were they were so seminal. Like, I had this kid who had who'd come back from the US, and he had, like, two or three of these Conan comics. And he lent one of them to me, and it was just so graphic and so bloody and so disturbing that it was burnt onto my, you know, 
brain, basically, to try and find it through my adult life. That is a prelude to the Conan movie. The Conan movie itself was nothing like the comics. Like, the comics were really, really, really violent and disturbing, and it was just basically about this guy who was a nomad who wandered around killing kings and, you know, rescuing. And they were all written by different people as well. Like, the notion of plot cohesion in the Conan comics wasn't there at all. As an adult, <laughs> I've gone back and you can buy them now in, like, big slabs. They retail very cheaply. And you can get, you know, I don't know, 300 Conan comics for, I don't know. $10. Probably, yeah, $20 on a bad day, $10 when they're having some sale. And, yeah, that's always extraordinary because I realised that this was a small element of my childhood programming to come back to this country. It was just the perception... War comics were a big thing when I was a boy as well. The UK had exported a lot of these really curious, slightly hyper-violent war comics, which weren't really... The EC, who did Mad Magazine here, had a series of war stories, but they were nothing like the British war comics. They were just really, really brutal and probably really racist as well in terms of just the portrayal of the Germans and the Japanese and all the kind of folk... And they they died out almost immediately in the early 80s. Like, I remember probably around 1984, this newsagent where I'd buy my Matchbox cars and these kind of things had the war comics underneath. And my grandfather sent me a couple of them. But they now retail for a small fortune on eBay. But they're considerably more graphic again. So, yeah, I think these kind of slightly adult comics that I could just smuggle in were it had some surprising impact on my early childhood. Do you still have matchbox cars? So this is where it gets interesting. I there's a local place that sells uh, vintage toys. Oh. And I went into it and this uh my wife <laughs> limits the frequency that I go to this place for obvious reasons. I went in there and it's always like I think of it like a toy store. I think of it like I've got to pick out the best thing in here. Like, I can't buy three or four things. I've got to just find the best possible thing in here. <laughs> and I found 1972 Matchbox cars with two... This is an Australian Matchbox car, even more rare, with two, like, dirt bikes on the back of it. And I had that displayed. I think it's up in the attic now, speaking of the title of our podcast. And <laughs> what else was I... I've gotten some really crazy stuff in there, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous going in there because they charge eBay prices for these things. Really nice woman who runs the store who I always have a longer conversation with than I actually spend browsing their collections. But yeah, if you ever come to this part of the world, make sure you have a nice chunk of change for this place because I think this, I mean, they have everything in there. They have oh. absolutely everything. You like G.I. Joe figures, you've got 400 to choose from. You like um, Transformers, they've got every possible, you know, Transformer. And the difficulty that I find there is that I try desperately. Last time I went, I saw some really interesting things, but they had an old record by Public Enemy, funnily enough. And I got the Public Enemy record over everything else. I thought, I'm going to get this <laughs> rather than the other stuff, I the toys. I'm going to get something. That... But yeah, I got the Matchbox car there. Like I said, last time we recorded... Almost everything from my childhood is gone. My mother has a small bowl in her house that has a Chewbacca and a few other things and maybe a couple of Matchbox cars. But yeah, all that stuff's gone. Do you collect Matchbox cars? 
You know what? I, I have them. I have a bunch, even from when I was a kid. But I ha- I really like the um the orange Hot Wheels track. Mm. Anything to do with the track, I um I, I love it. The little there's like little shops that'll like shoot the cars out with spinning mm. wheels in them and like little speedometers. So all I, I'm I'm almost more interested in the track than I really. I'm I'm not a car guy in any yeah. sense, but I I like an El Camino. And uh, I like the orange track. Yeah, my dream car is an El Camino, man. Mm. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, the the track is awesome. But um, oh man, I'd I'd love to go to that store. I kept there maybe. You see, what I there used to be like there's a there was an interesting bakery that my wife liked. My wife used to be a commercial baker in Las Vegas. Did a bunch of things associated with cakes. So I used to say, well, we'll go to that bakery, and then I'd sneak a couple of shops down. To the place. <laughs> And the terrible thing is, it's on my way home from work, and I just can't bring myself without permission to go in there, because <laughs> I know it would end badly. You, you mentioned the guy wearing the tiger pyjamas last show with his like, hand in the toy box. This would be me. My wife would have to come and collect me at like 9.30 at night. I need to go there for very specific times, very specific things. But yeah, the other thing is they've got all these plastic models, like the plastic model kits, the assembly model kits. They've got like various, like, oh, what were they called? The, um, oh, they were all like strength, the Thunderbirds. They were all strength puppets. They've got all these plastic oh, yeah. Thunderbird stuff. Oh, it's just, oh. I'm surprised you don't have something like that in your part of the world. We, we, we got some stuff, but, uh, not as, it's never focused on what I'm actually mm. going for. There's, there's actually, um, a model railroading place. Mm. close to me and it's got two stories and the downstairs is all toys and it's Mm. cool but it's not it's awesome don't get me wrong but it's there's no like there's no old gi joes there's no old he-men there's Mm. if there are there's very few but it's a huge store and there's you can look for days you know but um it's cool but there's no I don't know. I, that's why I guess I keep going to these conventions, just just mm. looking for different stuff. Well, you this know? woman goes to the conventions. Like, most of her business is actually taking parts of the store to conventions. And she picks up stuff at conventions and brings it back as well. So she actually, when I go there, she'll always give me the card saying when the next convention is. It's usually in San Francisco or somewhere in the region. And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be showing there. But, yeah, this is a this is a store that I think would seriously. I, I probably need to get there just to film within it. She'd be pretty cool about that, I think, and just show you some of the filming, some of the stuff that they have there. But, yeah, the thing is that it's completely and utterly disorganized. <laughs> I, that's not totally true. But she basically just has glass cabinets that have, like, she has the wrestling figures glass cabinet, and then ah. she has the Star Wars figures glass cabinet. So you're constantly, like, peering over the top of things, trying to look in, see if, you know, what's back behind there. <laughs> You, know, you see an Optimus Prime arm from the back and this kind of stuff. Ah, alas. Ah, so cool. <laughs> we are reaching the Skype bug point. So if we want to continue this call, I need to restart my computer and call you back. Are you up for continuing to talk? What time does this game start? Oh, they're at first intermission already. Oh, damn. Uh, You've been talking through all of it. Yeah, they're losing, so I'm kind of glad uh, I didn't see it. But they very they, good. But I just peeked at my phone. It's two to one. But um, if you want to yeah. wrap it up now, let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's, let's wrap, wrap it up. up. At high point. I'm going <laughs> to scream at the TV a little bit. Very good. <laughs> Pleasure is talking always, Brandon. Let's do this thing next week. Definitely. Good Thank talking to you, Tom. Take Cheers. care.